Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm continuing our series on house rules. Tony started last week. It's a mini-series about marriage and family. And I believe it's a series that actually affects us all. Because no matter who you are, your family or even your lack of family shapes who you are, what you do, the way you act, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you interact. And if you don't believe me, you only have to look around and watch and see how people do life. And Tony was sharing last week about how we had um, a young fellow over our house one day and we were just chatting and he was uh, doing whatever. And he was very, very, very opinionated about the American president, Donald Trump. I mean, some of the stuff that he came out with, some of his opinions about his policy, I didn't even know he had a policy on that, apparently. And this 10-year-old was very, very opinionated about what he thought. And it was just a great picture to us right there and then. I thought, that 10-year-old has not formed those decisions on his own. That 10-year-old has been shaped by the family in which he's found himself in. I'm sure that over the dinner table, uh, there's been conversations between mum and dad and family members about what they've heard on the news or what they've read. And they've, they've been very strong in their opinions and they've put that forth. And that's helped shape the thought process of this young guy. Perhaps driving in the car, going to school, going to sporting events, they've continued those kind of conversations. And it's just helped formulate a stance and a posture in this young man. And it's just a picture of what happens to each and every one of us. Again, fam- we get conditioned by the family in which we find ourselves in, the, the culture which is, prevails within our homes, how they think is how we think. How many times have you pos- potentially heard yourself say when someone's asked you, why do you do that? And when you, are, when you stop and think, you think, well, because my mother did it that way, you know, like it's just, it's, I've been shaped. There's no reason, rhyme, other than that's what I was taught, that's what I've seen, monkey see, monkey do. So family is intrinsic in shaping society, whether we like it or not. And we said last week that Carl Zimmerman wrote a book called Family and Civilization, and he spent decades studying the rise and fall of the major empires of history while also tracking what happened to the family units in those civilizations. In his research, he studied 3,000 years of family life, and this Harvard professor makes a powerful case for the traditional family structure. You can summarise his book with, So Goes the Family, so goes society. He wrote, as we watch the destruction of the family, so we simultaneously watch the collapse of society. And before you sit there and think, oh, you're just spouting uh, another Christian ideology, you're trying to hit me with a Bible worldview, let me let you know this, that this man, this Harvard professor, was a secular historian And there is no evidence or there's no account of the fact that he ever professed to be a Christian or have a Christian faith or hold a Christian worldview. And he wrote this book all the way back in 1947. 
This is not a fly-by-night hey, opinion, a Christian talented. This is a learned man who spent years studying who has come to this conclusion, that the traditional family structure is the best family structure. And that traditional family structure is referred to as the biblical family structure. Because we believe that God has a plan, will have a plan, and will always have a plan for marriage and for family. And we find that plan in Genesis chapter 1, and you're going to see it on the screen behind me in verses 27 and 28. So I'm going to read it. You can read along on the screen or find it on your device or in your Bible there. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, God created men and women that they would fall in love, they would get married, that they would have a family. It says, be fruitful, go and have children, that they would increase, talking about multiplication, not only have family, but you know what? Go and multiply the God in you. It's about discipleship. It's about bringing those on the journey with you. Go and multiply and have dominion. And dominion is talking about having a positive influence in your world. Often we think, oh, you know, I can't change the world. Well, God actually isn't asking you to change the world. He's asking you to have an influence on your world. And one of the greatest worlds we all have influence on is the world of our family. If you're a student here, you have influence over your classmates and where you are in university, in your workplace. But a lot of us have influence in our world, which is our family. And last week, Tony started the series and he spoke about parenting. And today I get to continue with it. And I'm actually going to speak about marriage. All right. Now, sadly, marriage doesn't have a good rap. You only have to turn on the television, see some of the American sitcoms out there, even some of the Australian uh, sitcoms. Marriage is always, I feel, just shamed on. It's always a negative side of it. I mean, my kids were never allowed to watch um, Simpsons when they were younger because I just, I used to see the way that they interacted, the way that they depicted marriage, the way they depicted how a husband and wife interacted. And I just thought, I don't need my kids brainwashed with that stuff. I want to brainwash them with what marriage actually is. Or, you know, there was, in my day, there was that Peggy and Sue, I can't think of what it was called, and, um, and he was just such a bogan that sat on the couch and he was awfully degraded women. And it just made you think, well, if that's marriage, I'm not doing it. And I just hate that fact that that's how the world is. And that's how then, because of that, that's how people see marriage. I mean, American evangelist D.L. Moody was asked by a reporter why he'd never married. And he replied, I'd rather go through life wanting that which I did not have than to go through life having something that I wish I hadn't. I mean, like, hello. Groucho Marx once said, marriage is a wonderful institution. But who wants to live in an institution? Rodney Dangerfield said this, my wife made me join a bridge club. I jump off next Tuesday. (laughs) Henry Youngman said, 
my wife and I have the secret to making a marriage last. Two times a week, we go to a nice restaurant for some good food. She goes Tuesdays, I go Fridays. You know what? Many have a very, very negative attitude towards marriage. Someone once said, in the first year of marriage, the man speaks and the woman listens. In the second year, the woman speaks and the man listens. In the third year, they both speak and the neighbours listen. (laughs) But you know what? We can laugh and that's funny, but it's not so funny in terms of I don't think marriage has to be that miserable. Now, I know that there are a lot of singles here and you might think, oh, marriage, parenting last week, what does that matter? Marriage this week. I want to say don't switch off. Because this is the place you need to learn about marriage and what it really is. Not The Simpsons, not Home and Away or whatever. Again, I'm showing my age. Whatever is a modern day television show today that, um, you know, modern family. It's not, that's not the picture of marriage. The world is spruiking an idealism of marriage that is wrong. And we then we wonder, parents and adults, why do people shy away from marriage? Why is marriage such, oh, no, I don't want to do that. It's because the world is saying this is what it is. And if you're a young person or a single person, you're just like, oh, I'm not, if that's what it is, I don't want it. And I'm here today to say that's not what it is. It's not God's design. It's not his plan. It's not how it has to be. But there are some things that we need to do. So this is the right place for you to be to get a desire and a want for a marriage. My prayer is that this church is a house full of relationships and full of marriages that a young person can look and go, if that's marriage, I want that. And one of my favourite sayings is, if you can't be a good example, you may have to be a horrible warning. And I'm tired of the church being a horrible warning. We're not a horrible warning. You know what? We're called to be a good example. John 15 says, show yourself to be my disciple. And we're speaking into this in this series, House Rules, because you know what, church? We need to show the world what good marriage looks like. So if you're single here, don't turn off. I'm also aware that in a room like this, there's all sorts of experiences that people have had with marriage. And so when we talk about a subject like marriage, I know that there are some here who have got a broken marriage behind them. It could even be more than one. And a message like this is not to bring condemnation. It is not to rub your nose in it. It is not to make you feel any less of an individual or a Christian. We are all the subject of the decisions and the choices that we've made. And a message like this and a subject like this is to bring hope. It's to bring healing for what has gone before you, but it's also to bring hope that wherever you are right now, that if you're entering into a new marriage or you've just started a new marriage, that this marriage could be the last marriage and the best marriage that you've ever had. So it's not about pointing the finger and saying you're you're second class. I know every person who's gone through a marriage breakdown and a family breakdown, they wouldn't want that for someone else. And so they want us to speak on it because if they can learn and we can learn, we can stop others taking that same path and we can also bring healing at the same time. And again, if you're in a marriage that isn't what you thought it would be or should be, you're not experiencing some of the things that we will talk about, then I want to encourage you, you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. I believe some of the things I share 
If you take them on board and you make adjustment, you can see life return into your marriage. You can see hope come back into your marriage. And again, you don't have to do it alone. There are some great pastors in this house. There's connect group leaders. There are people who would love to journey with you to help you take your marriage from bad to good, from good to great, and great to best. So this applies to each and every one of us. So this morning, like I said, Tony last week spoke about parenting. I'm going to speak about marriage. So I've learnt to have a successful marriage. It's not about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. You see, marriage is fun. And I know that the world make a lot of fun of marriage, but they don't, you don't see a lot of fun with marriage. And I'm here as an advocate to say marriage works and marriage is fun and marriage is worth it. But I can't say that without also saying, let's be fair, marriage is hard work. It's not easy. I know that um, Maroon 5 sing a song saying it's butterflies and rainbows and everything else, and there are elements of that. But it's not just all that. There is hard work to marriage because as simple as this, we take two selfish individuals and we say to them, you two individuals now must live together as one. And when you've got one selfish person, it's pretty hard to do life. Imagine life with two selfish people. And James says to us, because we always go, well, um, whose fault is it? James says to us, you know, the, the trouble that you have the, the, the quarrels and the fights that rage within you, do you know where they come from? And my response is him. And his response is her. And James' response is, no, you, both of you, because what he's saying is the fights and quarrels that come, they come from within. So again, to think you can go into marriage and it's just all rainbows and butterflies and there's no tension and there's no, that's a, you're deluded, you're delusional. But in your delusion, I'm here to give you hope. Because like I said, it's hard work, but it's rewarding in the end. And so some of the things that I want to share are going to address the fact that, yep, yeah, you know what, marriage is hard work, but I'm telling you, it's a work worth doing. You see, we refer to our wedding day as tying the knot. Have you ever heard that saying, hey, they're going to tie the knot? Have you ever wondered where that comes from? And let me just put you at ease because I did some research on the internet, it's not a noose. Because the first thing that most people come to, to, the picture that comes to mind is tying the knot. Oh, it's a noose around the neck or it's a ball and chain. It's not. When I went onto the internet, they said sometimes, sometimes it refers to a ceremony where they used to tie the hands of the bride and groom as they went into the ceremony as a symbol of them being joined together. Another time, in the Roman times, they used to say when the bride's girdle was tied in knots, now a girdle, just for our young people here, it's just an undergarment. So the bride's girdle was tied in knots on the wedding day and the groom had to untie the knots prior to consummating the marriage. And all the young people said, thank God that one's not happening anymore. Long wedding night. Oh, I can't do the knot undone. That's <laughs> why so God invented scissors. Anyway... <laughs> My husband's not here. I might be naughty. So, <laughs> all right. <clears throat> and then, 
Finally, another thought when I was checking out, there's a, there's a suggestion that it derives from the net. So the saying, tie the knot, derives from the nets of knotted string which supported beds prior to the introduction of metal-sprung bed frames. So they used to have beds made out of rope and it was the tying of the knots. The theory goes that in order to make a marriage bed, you needed to tie the knot. So the wedding ceremony is all about tying the knot, but I believe marriage is all about tightening that knot. And that's what I want to quickly share with us tonight. Some keys, some things that Tony and I do have made a commitment to doing that have tightened the knot on our marriage. Marriage is a massive subject and to bring it into 30-minute sermon is really hard. And we just, I thought, how's a creative way I can do it that people would remember and in the midst of their struggle or in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their anger and pain, what are some maybe quick-fire creative ways that people could remember what I've said. So I've taken the word not and made it an acronym and just tried to think of some statements that we could say that when you find yourself in this, that situation, it'll be an easier recall to be able to do. I want to let you know that we are also planning on doing a marriage seminar. We've been working on it, so we're going to get some dates together because, again, it's a big subject and it is a relevant subject that we're... That a lot of people need to hear about and need more in-depth help that a 30-minute sermon won't be able to do. So just what I thought I could do, if I can take this acronym, I can take this word, give you some sayings that you can remember, it'll at least help us on our journey and then encourage you to do whatever else is necessary to help you take your marriage from bad to better, from better to good, from good to great, from great to best. So how do we tighten the knot. Well, K, the saying I've got here is keep choosing us. Do you know that love isn't really so much an emotion? I know it's an emotion and it has feelings attached, but I tell you what the number one key to love is. Love is a choice. Love is a decision that you make and keep making. It's not just a one-off I know love starts with that interest in, oh, somebody catches your eye and you get emotions and you get feelings, but that's not what love really, really is. That's a feeling, and we've labelled it love. But I'm telling you, love is a choice. Love is something that says, you know what, I am going to choose to put myself at the expense of you. I'm choosing you over and above anything else. It's an act of my will. It's a decision that I made when I first met my husband, and it's a decision that I make daily, a decision to continue to love. Martin Luther says this, feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God, naught else is worth believing. You can't trust. If you say, well, I know I'm in love because of how I feel, I say, good indicator, but not necessarily love. It's like, no, love is a decision. It's a choice that I've made. It's something that I'm going to do and I'm going to keep doing it. If you want to tighten the knots of your marriage, you need to keep choosing us. What I mean by that, I think we have this perception nowadays because legally in Australia, you have to sign documents to get married. You sign your legal documents You have to um, make a declaration 
in sight of, in accordance with Australian laws, and we get a marriage certificate that we sign. The problem is it's all geared towards the fact that this ceremony and this piece of statement is contractual. And let me tell you what a contract is. A contract, by definition, is when one person pledges to do something contingent upon the performance of the other person. If one person fails to do his part, the contract may be broken. So we sign a marriage declaration and we think of it in worldly terms as being a contract. But let me tell you what God's rules, his house rules say about marriage. He says that marriage is a covenant, that the two shall become one flesh, that they would decide to be together because covenant by definition means this, a holy promise, a personal commitment that cannot be broken by the winds of adversity. See, we get into trouble because we approach marriage contract rather than covenant. And we've all stood who've got married in the sight of God and in this congregation, that's what the minister says, and we make a covenant to continue to choose you. And I'm here with the good news this morning to let you know that your partner will let you down, that you will let your partner down that every one of us will break contract. Now, you might not break contract in how you think contract should be broken. I've never had adultery. I've never done this. I've never done that. But all of us have an unwritten contract when it comes to how we do marriage. Because I never walked down the wedding aisle to do marriage and life with Tony thinking, oh, yeah, he'll hurt me. Oh, yeah, he'll disappoint me. Oh, he'll let me down. No, I came into it like everyone else saying, He'll never let me down. I'll never let him down. He'll never hurt me. I'll never hurt him. We've all broken contract. The choice is that are you going to choose us? Because just because the contract has been broken, the covenant doesn't have to be. And every time you find yourself in that position, you have to understand, I need to keep choosing us. I don't know if you feel that this would be a revelation to you, but Tony and I can actually argue. And we can do it really well. It's good. Because it's just one of those things. We can do it. Why? Because we have two selfish individuals who've been called to work together. And the fights and the quarrels that come, they come from within who? Me. And they come from within him. So they come from within. So we can argue. And there have been some times when I've thought, this one is mine. I have won. I am like the chess. You are, what's the word? I was going to say snookered. <laughs> you are checkmated. I know my rights. I know what's done. I know what you did to get here. Yes, I'm a winner. But what do you do when on the other side of the equation is someone else who says, uh, checkmate, got your rookie first. Like, you know, and they're like, no, 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 no. You've got it wrong, girlfriend. I know I'm right. I've got it. What do you do? I tell you what you do. If you want to tighten the knots of your marriage, you keep choosing us. I decided long ago, I can hold on to my rights. I can think I am justified for this because you hurt me and you shouldn't have done that. And it's true. You shouldn't have done that. And it's true, I am hurt. But if I want to tighten the knots of my marriage, I have to understand I don't choose me. I choose us. And if that means I've got to submit and surrender and just go, let my pride down and say, you know what, it doesn't matter whether I think I'm right, I feel I'm right, and I've got a good case that I could argue for. 
I want to tighten the knots of my marriage and to tighten the knots of my marriage, I choose us. And you might say, well, that's okay for you. I don't feel like that. Hey, honey, do you think I've always felt like that? Do you think your partner feels like It's not about feelings. So Martin Luther said, love is a choice. And I made a covenant. And if I want my covenant to last, I have to throw away the contract and say, it's not obligated on what you do or don't do. It's on the promise that I made before God and before these people and to you. And so that is what rules. I choose us. Tightening the knots of your marriage. Keep choosing us. And here's the good news. I've discovered that when I'm obedient, my feelings catch up. I don't wait to feel like doing the right thing. I do the right thing because it is the right thing. And after 26 years of marriage and 33 years of relationship, I've discovered my feelings actually catch up with my obedience. Let obedience lead, feelings will follow because we can't be led by our feelings. Scripture says that it's those who are led by the Spirit of God as sons of God, not those led by their feelings. It's not about feelings. Feelings will enhance. Feelings can add. But feelings are not what's going to keep you married. Feelings aren't what's going to tighten the knots of your marriage. What tightens the knots of your marriage is keep choosing us. Secondly, not only do we keep choosing us, we never go to bed angry. Phyllis Diller says this, never go to bed angry, stay up and fight. (laughs) Now, I'm not advocating that. I'm saying, when I say never go to bed angry, I'm saying deal with it, sort it out. There's a guy, an American guy, he traversed America and his name is Peter Jenkins. He says when he'd finished his trip, someone asked him if he ever felt like quitting. And he said, yes, many times. What was it that made him feel like quitting? The high mountains, the searing sun, the lonely nights, the possibility of danger? He said, no, it was the sand in my shoes. What does that mean? It means it's the little things. It means it's the constant irritation of a little grain of sand walked on over time, over time, over time, over time, undealt with, was the thing that was going to cause him to quit. When I say never go to bed angry, I say deal with stuff. Deal with it. Because it's the little things that build up. I'm here to tell you, nobody just wakes up one morning and has an affair. Nobody wakes up one morning and leaves the marital home. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I don't love you anymore. It's been lots of little things undealt with, undealt with, undealt with, undealt with, like the little sand in the shoe that cause us to want to quit. Deal with stuff. Never go to bed angry. Ephesians 4.26 says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold is simply a place of authority. And we give the enemy authority in our lives, in our marriages, in our families when we refuse to deal with stuff. You need to deal with it. Often people say to me, but Kath, I shouldn't feel this way. And perhaps that's right. Maybe you shouldn't, but the truth is you do. And if you do, then you've got to bring it up and bring it out because if you don't, it's like sand in the shoe. So don't go, oh, well, I shouldn't feel this way. You know what? We can work on that. But the fact that you do feel that way, let's talk about it. Let's bring it up. And so we're talking about how do you not go to bed angry? Talk about everything, anything. If it's meaning something to you, aggravating you, annoying you, you have to bring it up. Because if you don't, 
it's, it'll just be like that sand in the shoe that just keeps wearing away, wearing away, wearing away. And eventually, when your partner is doing whatever it is they're doing, they're annoying you, you're not aggravated at that one time they did it. This is now the 100th time, and that's what you're reacting to. And they're like, what? How? What? Like this one little thing, it's not a one little thing. It's something that's been building up. Never go to bed angry. Deal with it. Work it out. It takes real conversations for you to really talk about everything. It takes graciousness, being honest, not accusing, but just saying, hey, I know it's my issue, but this is what it means for me. Can we talk about that? It takes forgiveness. It takes choosing the higher way. You know, often... People just go, but I have every right. I'm like, yeah, I know you think you have every right. I've felt many a times I have a right to hold on to this. But in light of what Jesus has done for me, I don't have a right. He says, I'm no longer my own. Because of what Christ did for me, I now no longer live. He lives in me. If I got what I deserved and if you got what you deserved, none of us would be here. But Jesus came and made a way for us to go to the Father and have relationship with God, none of us deserve that. None of us could earn it. So forgiveness is all about understanding. I'm not excusing the act you did. I'm just letting myself off the hook and letting that not have a foothold in our marriage and in my life. And so it takes forgiveness. Never go to bed angry. Don't personalise things. We have to remember that what we do is not who we are. What you do is not who you are. And so if, you, if your husband or your wife has got something that, hey, when you do this, this is how it makes me feel. Talk about the issue, not about, oh, well, you know, I cook you dinner and I make you, your house is clean and you this. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this incident and this character trait or whatever that thing is. Let's talk about that and separate it from who you do. I know that I said don't go to bed angry, but I do want to side note this. I have actually gone to bed angry. The point is, I would rather go to bed angry and we both go to the same bed than to not deal with things and then not go to the same bed. So when we say never go to bed angry, we're talking about don't just let it roll over. There have been times when we cannot, in the heat of battle, get reconciliation on this issue right there and now, and we've learnt pause. Let's just put a pause on this conversation. Let's stop it. It is now 1am in the morning and I know nothing good can come after that. Let's go to bed and we will pick this up at a better place. So when we say never go to bed angry, we're saying deal with it. Deal with it. If you want to tighten the knots of your marriage, never go to bed angry. Also remember, over the fence isn't better. K-N-O. Over the fence is not better. The grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. Where's the grass greener? Where you water it. So tighten the knot, start watering your side of the fence. Stop comparing. The Bible says that God has given us each a race to run. He says, run your race with perseverance. He doesn't say run someone else's race. And so I'm all for looking at marriages and seeing how they do things and what can I learn, but I can't bring what they bring into my marriage. I need to do our marriage. Now, I can learn and think, oh, that's a great idea and how can I bring that in? But you've got to do what works for you and stop comparing. How many times do you hear a wife say, well, so-and-so does this for her and so-and-so does this for her and, so, and it's like, you know what, you never bring up that he does this. It's, we always compare incorrectly. We compare the goodness with what we want and not the 
the whole point. It's like, just run your race. Stop comparing. God has given you a husband. God has given you a wife. Husband and wife, your husband or wife, and not the one you wish you had. Do the one you have. Oh. <laughs> Do that too, but... Okay. So stop comparing. Be grateful. This is what I remind myself. You know, Tony, last week when we were talking about kids, he said, don't kill them, even when you feel like killing them. Can I, this is what God said to me. People would kill for what you want to kill. You know, I'm going to kill that guy. And God says, you know what? People would kill to actually have a husband. To have that, and not, maybe not necessarily that husband, but a husband. What you're complaining about and you want to kill, people would kill for. Be grateful. How many times, I hate ironing. And I said, well, complain, I haven't to iron. And then one, again, God arrested me and said, you know what? It's pretty easy. We could make it that you had no one to iron for. So what do you want? Do you want people in your life and world that you can iron for? Or do you want to be so bent out of shape about ironing that you don't have that? It's like, be grateful. Be thankful. Actually, look for the best in, in your partner. I love this. Joel Osteen said this. You have 80% of what your partner wants and needs and only 20% that you don't. And guess what? He has 80% of what you need and desire and want, and on 20% not. And so often we get caught up in the 20%. It's like 80%. I've got 80% of what Tony needs. 80%. For a 60% student, 80% is like a winner. Like, woo! What are you going to concentrate on? And here's the thing. Many people leave the 80% because of the 20% that someone can't fulfil to find someone who has what? 80% because everybody has 80%. You're never going to find the 100%. The thing about marriage is not finding the perfect person. It's about being that person. Don't find the right one. Be the right one. You've got 80%. My husband has 80% of what I need. I consider that a winner if I'm looking at it in the right perspective. Over the fence isn't better. Be grateful for what you have. Concentrate. Think about tightening the knot is appreciating what I have. Yes, there's 20% that possibly doesn't, I can get that in other areas in terms of relationship and friendship. But there's 80% that what I feel I need, you can provide for me and that is good. And then finally, T, take time to be together. Spend time together. We're talking about how do you tighten the knots of your marriage? It takes time. I was sharing earlier that when I, we were younger and dating, Dolly Magazine was the magazine. And they used to always do these articles about the perfect date and how to prepare for the perfect date. And it's like a seven hour, and they used to even do like every hour what you do. It's like seven hours, okay, bath at this time, and this is what you put in the bath. And I probably did it once. Because, I mean, who has seven hours to get ready for a date? Now, here's the point. Maybe back then when you weren't um, married and you were single and you didn't have kids and didn't have, and you had time in the world, you could spend seven hours getting ready for a date. I don't spend seven hours getting ready for a date, but here is what happens is I still get ready for a date. So it may change and not look the same, but the attitude is the same. So, you know what, getting ready for a date for me is, I've got lipstick on, winner! <laughs> I've got brush my hair, whatever it is. But the fact is you're getting ready for it. It's about spending time together because what you did in the early days to attract your mate and be interested and do all those things, you've got to continue to do. But the point is, what I'm saying is it just looks different. 
But it's still the same intent in terms of, hey, what I did to keep his attention and to get his attention is what I still need to do now within our marriage. I don't just say, well, we're married now. Ha ha, sucker till death do us part. This is what you have to put up with. It's like, no, you know what? Life changes. Things have changed. I've had three kids. I look different. But there are some things that don't have to change. They may look different, but they don't change. And I'll still prepare in a sense, my heart for a date that I would have done when maybe I spent seven hours getting ready. Spend time together. It may be harder, but it's no less important. We have a little saying in our family about the ministry of presence. Tony travels quite a bit. And sometimes it's way easier for me to stay home because of what I have to administrate, organise for me to go and get the kids sorted and all that stuff. And sometimes it's just easier to stay home. But we've had an understanding that time together, that I, and I, because sometimes I justify and say, well, I don't preach when you go. You go and do all the work. I'm really just there carrying your bags or doing whatever. But it comes under that ministry of presence. We do it because I'm there to be with him. I'll never preach when he's working there. I may never do whatever. It could be easier to be home because I don't get babysitters and all that stuff. But it's about the ministry of presence. If you want to tighten your knots, start being present in your marriage. You can watch the TV, sure. But don't watch the TV, be on the internet, do other things. Be present. Be there. Go for coffee. Talk. Be present in your marriage. Tightening the knots is about being present. And then finally, have fun. You know what? I'm tired of seeing marriages that look boring. They have no life. They have no fun. They have no joy. And I get that life changes and kids come along and things happen, but it doesn't have to be miserable. I want my kids to know that I love their father unreservedly. I want them to know that he is my knight in shining armour. I didn't say he was perfect. I'm not perfect. But I tell you, they need to know that marriage is great. Marriage is fun and we make time to have fun together as a family as a family, but even just as us as individuals. Just love, let them see that marriage is great. If wedding, if the wedding is tying the knot, then I believe that marriage is tightening the knot. And my prayer is that those few things that I've shared with you this morning are just a small step in helping you tighten the knots of your marriage or perhaps believe for what you uh, have an understanding, what you can believe for, for your future marriage. Keep choosing us. When the words are flying and the thoughts are raging and the emotions are gathering and you just want to quit or fight, you're just going to say, I choose us. I'm going to keep choosing us. Never go to bed angry. Don't let it build up. You deserve better than that. Your partner deserves better than that. And if you've already got kids, your kids deserve better than that. Never go to bed angry. Resolve to deal with everything and anything. Remember, over the fence isn't better. It's simply over the fence. Be grateful for what you have. Look and enjoy the 80% and work on you so that you can be the right person for your partner rather than trying to make them the right person for you. And take time to be together. And I honestly believe 
the smallest adjustment in any of those areas will see a dramatic difference in our marriages. I love that saying that big doors open on small hinges. I think those things are simple, but they are very, very effective. And I believe if we start acting on those, doing those sorts of things, our marriages will go to the next level. I know marriage is under attack because of the picture it is of the picture and the revelation of God to humanity. And that's why we, we did a series about the enemy. He's the accuser, he's the deceiver, and he's the destroyer. And he wants to destroy marriages because when he destroys marriages, he destroys people's perception of who God is and what he really is like. And it's about time that Christian marriages screamed success, screamed fun. Not just talked about it, but John 15, as I said, show yourselves my disciples. Because if your marriage can't be a great example, it simply will be a horrible warning. And we're not called to be horrible warnings. We're called to be great examples. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 